0: Hello friends. I'm going off the dome here. I had some things written and I think the universe was telling me to just let it flow out. And so, maybe some pauses here and there. Those can be uh, moments where you breathe with me. I touch upon it in this podcast episode, it's this experience I feel as a host, uh, where my mind gets, has this voice saying, uh, what are you going to say next? And I read a beautiful quote on a friend's Facebook page the other day that said, uh, "May we," something along the lines of, may we listen to understand rather than listen to reply. And I have undertaken the challenge of living that, that advice, being a podcast host. And uh, it can be frightening to have a, a long pause in a recording, but um, I feel that it is more important to me that I understand, and that we all understand, what is really being said rather than... Just continuing the conversation, going to to keep it talking and to fill the silence, and so it comes back to this overarching theme of life and of spirituality, and I think this theme really uh, really finds itself in pretty much every aspect of this reality and this consciousness, and it's this idea of presence. As my friend Seth says, the world of right now, how good it is. And if there's a theme to this podcast, it might just be that that truth, that in the world of right now, there is... Clarity There's understanding There's the resolution to all of our worries Really Harry? It's that simple? So I've been told I have maybe just briefly experienced What it's like to be completely here and now and that experience does bring such bliss, such peace. How can it not? How can it not? Um, and in this episode, I'm speaking with a new friend by the name of Dave Shimon. Dave brings a lot to the table here, being a healer, of acupuncture and Chinese medicine and also having just returned from a trip to Peru where he worked with shamans and ayahuasca and for those of you who are not familiar with ayahuasca it's it's a plant medicine that has been used in the Amazon rainforest for thousands of years and recently Westerners have been heading down there in what seemed to be droves in order to experience what this plant medicine has to offer and, and what the shamans have to offer with this plant medicine. And so Dave speaks of his experiences in Peru, and when I look on an episode and think about what do I want the title to be, there's usually one moment of the conversation that stands out and The conversation, the moment of this conversation that stands out is a moment where Dave is talking about the second ceremony in which he is not experiencing what he hoped and expected to experience. Um, And he's resisting. He's resisting what is. And that ceremony turned out to be the most impactful for him I would say Uh, he truly felt the wisdom of acceptance and surrender and presence because we can continue to say these things okay be present just accept surrender there will be peace and love and bliss in the present moment we can continue to say this and we can know this even that it is true we can firmly believe that it is true and then we can experience it and in experiencing it the wisdom becomes more meaningful it becomes clear more understandable and so Perhaps this is a theme. you know these these conversations, I think in the description, I wrote something like heartfelt conversations to uh, inspire, to to share inspiring stories and insights. It's something like that. and And I really love that word inspire. I probably use it way too much. But what inspire means to me is this this deep knowing of where I am right now, and where I'm going, and where I've been, and what are the the steps for me along this path. It's like a spark lighting this fire of action that I know what I'm here to do, understanding my purpose, that that's what inspiration touches upon for me and and I definitely struggle with it sometimes there are days where I'm feeling totally inspired energized clear-headed full of compassion and love and all the good things and of course there are days when I feel the opposite I feel Unmotivated, I feel uninspired, I feel confused, I feel like there is no point. I just want to go home and escape this reality through a book or a movie and just pour out my woes to whoever will listen. And yet I know that even that will not bring me comfort and, and real satisfaction. And that's what that feeling is. It's like nothing will bring me comfort and satisfaction. And it relates back to what Dave has to offer in this conversation and it's acceptance. It's accepting even those moments of depression. Accepting those moments of feeling uninspired and unmotivated and confused just accept okay here it is another one of these moments I don't want to feel this way but I am it's, it's happening right now so I just see it so my hope my hope 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 I don't know about that word hope but it comes out sometimes my hope is that these words in this conversation are received and provide some inspiration and I've been practicing this mantra recently breathe and remember breathe to come into this moment and remember what is remember who I am remember what I'm doing what's my purpose remember those moments of clarity and remember the wisdom of acceptance peace and so much love to all you listeners out there. I really do feel you. Peace. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. We're in your beautiful space up here. Um I I wouldn't call it a studio space
1: yeah it kind of is some people call it that a clinic clinic. or or an acupuncture studio uh huh yeah space is a good word definitely yeah I I, it's you know my sliding door career was probably architecture Uh and um what I like about that and what I like about my practice is creating a space that people feel really comfortable in Mm. um that they feel like they can relax that they can express themselves um that just—I don't know—I just think life is better when you have a space that you can go to, you know. Now, most of what happens in the space is along
0: acupuncture lines. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Acupuncture, yeah, primarily. Okay. Yeah, acupuncture, Chinese medicine. And so, does feng shui play into this? A little bit. I haven't studied it, um, you know, specifically, but I understand generally the concepts of it. Um,
0: what do you understand? What are those concepts?
1: Well, you want to, you it's a little like acupuncture. You want to keep blockages out of the way. You want to have things like um, items in the space that help to move energy to disperse it. If there's, a, like corners, you want corners to be um, places where energy doesn't get stuck. So mm. things that sort of block the energy from getting stuck there, kind of keep it moving. Mm. Um, you can do that with sound. You can do it with sight. Uh, I have speakers set up in there so that the sound is kind of coming from everywhere. Uh, It's soft lighting, mostly up lighting, um, soft fabric, so it absorbs sound, and then artwork that's all representations of nature. Most of it's flowers.
0: Now, how is that similar to acupuncture?
1: Well, acupuncture, when you're treating someone, you want to clear the blockages that are in the way for the chi to flow, chi or blood. So like if somebody's got pain, for instance, it's usually a sign that there's a, there's a lack of free flow. Either the joint itself is stuck or a muscle is stuck, the fascia is uh, entwined with the muscle. And you can release it with needles, with cupping, with uh, a little bit of massage called twina. And when you do that, you get the blood flow and the qi flow returned and people just feel better.
0: This is, there's going to be a whole line of questions coming your way. <laughs> all right. I just want to introduce you first, Dave Shimon. We met at a 6.30 a.m. dance two weeks ago, three weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, Daybreakers. Daybreaker. And uh, all I, the music was blasting, and all I heard was that you're going to Peru to work with shamans. Yeah. And I said, okay, when you come back, give me a call. We're going to get on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so here we are. You made it happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It's so, a really amazing trip. Of course, I want to talk about that, but as we're getting started now, you're telling me about the work you do here, mm-hmm. it's raising up lots of other questions, too. So, I guess where I'd, I'd like to begin, yeah, I guess I do want to really dive right into this trip, so I'm curious, mm-hmm. now that I'm learning a little bit about you and your area of expertise around
1: Chinese medicine, mm-hmm.
0: why Peru? What drew you to Peru? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, wow, that, that is a that's a big question. Um, I have to step back to about five years ago. Uh, my wife met a woman named Lynn Twist, who is one of the co-founders of the Pachamama Alliance.
0: Oh, I've heard You've of You've heard this. of them, yeah. Yeah, but can you say a little bit about Sure.
1: So the the story that about the formation of the Pachamama Alliance was that there was a an anthropologist who had a dream about introducing the the wisdom of the of the southern world, uh, South American cultures. They wanted to introduce that wisdom to the northern hemisphere, to people mm-hmm. from you know the U.S., Canada. A Western the West. anthropologist. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the story goes that there was also a uh, a shaman. Although they, they don't really use that word down there. They have other words for that they call themselves yunaya. Um, and it a lot of them actually think if you call yourself a shaman down there you're a charlatan mm. <laughs> yeah, because it's not a traditional word they use so mm. uh, do that, you...
0: that word comes from uh,
1: Siberia shamans yeah yeah yeah, yeah. from um, you know they were using um magic mushrooms you know, and amor- I forget the name of the mushroom but yeah the the shamans of Siberia and so that name
0: it's not used down south, but it's a similar type of person.
1: Yeah. I would, I would, I haven't been to Siberia, so I don't really know how they, how they practice, but I think it's a similar concept in that the, the patient, the person that, you know, who's working with the, with the shaman, with the Onaya, has ingested some substance that helps them to thin the veil, they say, between this world and, and the world that we normally can't see. and, that the the shaman, the person who's guiding the patient, is is typically using uh, like feathers or drumming or singing, maybe flutes, um, tobacco, um, and that they are through those techniques, through those methods, they're guiding the medicine in the person's body.
0: Mm.
1: They're they're actually moving it with the songs and they get those songs from the plants themselves. They don't go and, you know, somebody doesn't say, here's the song, learn the song. Mm-hmm. You do the, they they work with plants and the plants themselves eventually, somehow it just appears in their consciousness. They, mm-hmm. they suddenly have a, the song and there's different cadences and different words that they sing. Um, the people that we worked with in Peru there were four of them uh, who were working through the room. Um, three of them were from uh, th- that area. They were Shipibo uh, people. And one of them was Japanese. He'd been down there for 10 years studying with these guys. Really? Yeah. And his, his singing was incredible. And for whatever reason, he was the one that uh, I connected with the most during huh. the ceremonies. And I, I can't tell you why. It just happened that each of the times when one of them was working with me, the... The most powerful moments were working with him, and he really didn't speak much English. So I, it wasn't like I was, you know, talking with him, you know, when the, the you know, outside of the ceremony. But just somehow, he was just connect. We were connecting. I don't know. Have any idea why?
0: Now I just want to add, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. cross cultures shamans don't always interact with plant medicine. It is sometimes just drumming. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, um, or other means, mm-hmm. but the folks that you were working with, plant medicine was pretty yeah. central to this. Yeah, yeah.
1: Ayahuasca was um, the, the main plant we worked with, but we worked with other plants too. Uh, they did plasters where they would use a combination of four different plants and put them into these uh, kind of mashed up, wet balls of plant material and put it under a bandage and then wrapped it around our heads hmm. so that it would soak right into the... Like right a poultice. Yeah, exactly, like a poultice.
0: So, I get so excited. I leave I know. my guests on We're probably all weaving things. all
1: over the place in this conversation. But um,
0: Pachamama Alliance. Yeah,
1: Pachamama Alliance. So my wife met Lynn Twist, heard about this. Uh, my wife had been part of the Hunger Project. And um, when she met Lynn Twist, she was really impressed with what they were up to. And she thought this sounded amazing. So she told my 17-year-old about the Pachamama Alliance. As my daughter was looking for something to just go do something in that summer. Something out of the ordinary. Uh, Found out about the Pajamama Alliance, signed up for the trip to go to Ecuador to meet uh, the Achuar tribes Mm -hmm. in the Amazon. Mm -hmm. About a month before the trip, they had a conference call to orient everyone. And uh, it turns out, and they announced on the call that they would have the opportunity to do Natem, which is ayahuasca. It's the word they use.
0: 17-year-olds. 17-year-olds. Having the opportunity.
1: Yeah. just Well, my daughter was the youngest one who went. and Ah, and they do they they believe that you know if you're like 15 and above that's it's okay okay
0: this wasn't a trip specifically for 17 year olds
1: no no it was all range in a range of ages um and so when you know we thought we were like okay well we got to put pause on this for a second and talk about this you know we don't want to just send our daughter into the amazon at 17 to ayahuasca and but we thought okay she's 17 you know she's in in philadelphia she's in a public school that's full of kids doing all kinds of stuff marijuana they're dropping acid you know we know this it's it's in all the schools it's in the public schools it's in the private schools you know it's it's she's going to do this at some point anyways maybe not ayahuasca but she's going to do probably acid or who knows what at some party and we thought well it would be way better to go and do a traditional plant medicine like ayahuasca in the culture where it's from with people who've been doing it for a long time, who know what they're doing, and just and do it right, and do it for you know, in a ceremony and for a purpose, not as a party drug. And so we said, okay, if you want to do it, you know, we have our blessing. So she worked, she paid for half the trip, we paid the other half, and she went down there and did it. How long ago was this? About five years ago, she's 22 now.
0: And at that time, you had already experienced ayahuasca?
1: I had not, no. I knew people who had, and I I was aware of it. I used to work in a health food store in Baltimore with uh, the guy who was the general manager was hanging out with all these ethnobotanists from Hopkins, and he was telling me about all kinds of different plants and synthetic hallucinogens, and so I was learning a bit. I really hadn't had that much experience with any of that stuff. I had done some acid and some mushrooms, and he gave me some salvia, and that was mind-blowingly powerful, Um, and it really gave me a sense of an actual experienced, embodied experience of of oneness, not from like a feel-good kind of perspective, but from being completely dissolved and only experiencing experience. That that sounds kind of vague, I'm sure. What I mean is, I didn't have a, there was no me. Yeah. I just was experiencing like a vibratory energy, and I was part of it. It wasn't separate from it. It was just like a continuum, as far as I could experience. Like, and then it slowly crystallized back into like me seeing the candle that I had lit and the music that I had playing. And it was only about a minute and a half, but it was a complete like experience of no separation, total non-duality. Just like that's the only way I can describe it.
0: That was brought on by the salvia, salvia plant. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that because. I think this is the first episode where we're we're going to be really talking about mind altering substances mm. psychedelics mm-hmm. and altered states of consciousness and for you to bring that experience up right from the beginning, I think is important um, just in case anyone listens to this and, and just out of out of uh, not understanding these substances, mm-hmm. may, might even cringe mm-hmm. at the sure. idea that whoa, they're talking about these illegal substances, mm-hmm. and
1: and I did it when it was not illegal, right? Salvia is not <laughs> illegal. Well, I, it might be now. I, but when I did it, this was, was um, my daughter was probably one year old, so that was 21 years ago. When oh, I did that. okay, yeah, I did it. I did it four times. The third time was, just blew my mind. The fourth time, kind of scared me. It was very brief. And I just said I'm not doing that again. I didn't want to do it again. I don't know why it's you know, that was it
0: well, yeah, I guess what I What I beseech of the listeners is Mm -hmm. uh, just to To look at that cringe if it's there and just (laughs) have an open mind You know Dave has just let us know what Salvia did for him basically made him uh, feel connected with everything so Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem so bad
1: yeah, it, the next few days, <laughs> the next few weeks, I just realized I'm like there is really, really no separation between anything. Yeah. you know, and physics tells us that now. I mean, right. the, the, the science says that that's the case. We experience the world as like we're separate from other things yes. or other people, but it's just not the case. It's,
0: yeah,
1: there's no basis in fact for it. So, when a plant can give you that experience and show you that we're really connected, and that there's there's things that you can't normally see, I I think it's worthwhile having that experience and, and I know a lot of people are using these plants therapeutically and other substances yeah. so I, I think there's a there's just a huge potential for for really positive use of these things mm. of course there's probably you know room for abuse but that's the case with anything you of know course. people abuse their cars they abuse you know their power <laughs> in office you know people abuse alcohol and everything so it just I don 't think we should be blocked from having access to these things that have been used for thousands of years in in traditional cultures
0: so speaking of which yeah. uh, you mentioned that the cultures that have traditionally um, that have traditionally used these plants actually yeah. uh, do they encourage their youth once they reach the age of fifteen to explore it or how does that work? Um,
1: that's a good question. In, in fact, the guy that um, who was running this center called Suipino in uh, outside of Pucallpa, and it's a it's the the, the village is called San Francisco. It's um, this is all in Peru. This is all in Peru. Yeah, uh, it's a Shipibo culture or a Shipibo community there, and they they have their clans and they're very tight. They're very tight knit um, family groups. Um, he he sees. Their culture really on the decline, like the traditional culture is on the decline because of the, they've lost, because of the, the rubber companies and the timber companies, they've taken away their land. Uh, in fact, there's some really nasty stuff these companies have done. They've, so in some cases, they've gone in and killed the shamans in these traditional communities because they know they get rid of the shaman, that the people will just fold. You know, who who is this going them, in? It's just these corporations, timber companies and rubber companies. Yeah, there's a lot of really really nasty stories that they were sharing with us. You know that, that you know they've gone into these. It's you know it's it's throughout all of the Americas. You know the Native sure. Americans, the you know the Aztecs, the Incans. They were all destroyed by the Spanish or you know, other you know Western peoples, and it's still going on. Um, the Shipibos right now, they're, they're uh, under, under assault from palm oil companies. They're buying up land. The government is a bit corrupt in Peru, and they're selling this land for nothing. It's not even the government's land. It's, the, it's traditional Shipibo community land. They're selling it to palm companies, and they're planting palms for as far as you can see because of the palm oils used in so many products that people in America are buying you know, on Amazon. <laughs> Ironically, um, yeah, right? You know? I, know, I think about that. Yeah. So um yeah, these um I forgot what your question was, but you know, you were asking well, about the, the traditional the, culture and, yeah. and do, yeah, do the kids do it? Right. So this guy, he sees that the culture is dying and they wanna they wanna preserve it. But the only way they can preserve it is by you know, they he actually created a school and in the school he's got kids who are underprivileged. And underprivileged by their standard is really, really underprivileged. I mean, they're very, very poor to begin mm. with. Mm. And these are kids who have lost one or both parents. Maybe they're living with their grandparents. And these kids live in live in this school that he built. They go to regular school till two o'clock. Then they come over to this place. At uh, after that, have lunch, and then they learn about the culture. They learn about the art, about the plants. They learn about dance, the Shipibo language, and when they are old enough, then they can do ayahuasca. They don't have them start that stuff when they're really young.
0: Are these kids of the Shipibo lineage?
1: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the school, though, is, is created by? By one of the, the healers, this guy, uh, uh, Rojer Lopez, who uh, runs a center called Swipino, which is a traditional plant medicine center. Uh, they do um, ayahuasca ceremonies, but they also do a bunch of other plants. Uh, I stayed in a little cabana, and The guy next to me was there uh, being treated for Parkinson's disease. He'd been there for a month. When he came, he, he was shaking head to toe. He couldn't cook for himself, he had a difficult time walking. He was a mess. And by the time I got there, it was just his hands shaking. So in a month, it, the tremors had calmed down dramatically. He, was, they, he planned to be there for three months, two months of treatment, and then a month of recovery like to gain his strength back. Um, the plant medicine is very strong. And he wasn't doing ayahuasca. He's not strong enough for it. He was doing other plants, non hallucinogenic, you know, just strong plants. It, it's normally in the West, we are doing plants, we do uh, herbal medicine that is mostly extracted or dried, powdered, you know, it's been processed in some way. It's not the fresh, you know, just just harvested plants and that's what they're using down there it's it's way stronger than anything i've experienced really yeah yeah very strong stuff um it, it, some of the stuff we took it made you relaxed immediately and and not high or anything like that just very calm relaxed um
0: now this center is this mm-hmm. this is run by westerners
1: no no it's all shipibo wow mm mm-hmm.
0: And is there any outside help, or um,
1: so? There's a couple who had organized this trip, and they, um, their story is interesting. They had both ended up down there, independent of one another. One guy was a um, he was a by by training he was a historian, and he was hired by Coca-Cola to do a history of all their plants, and they just kind of gave him a, a long leash. He was traveling around the. Uh, South America. He's from Argentina originally. And he would go to these different plants and he would interview people and go through the records and he was writing the history of these plants. And he happened to end up in Pucallpa and somebody he met said, Hey, you ever done ayahuasca? and took him to a ceremony and he was blown away by it. Somebody else who heard him talk about the experience asked him said you know tell me about the guys you went with and they told him and they said you don't want to go with those guys those guys are they're they're foreigners they're just trying to make money on this and they took him and introduced him to uh to Roger Rohare Lopez and he did ceremonies with him and was like okay this guy's the real deal and he ended up quitting his job and going to work for this guy and he ended up becoming part of his family he was there for i think he was there for Either six or ten years, I don't remember anymore. Um, while he was there, he met uh, his name is Martin, and he met uh, this woman Martha, who's a Chinese American from from New York. And she had gone down there to do uh, kind of a. She was going. She was just coming to try to help the the community with uh, like composting toilets and permaculture, those kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. And she realized after. I don't know, six months or something that they didn't need her help. <laughs> Why didn't they need her help? Because they know what they're doing. So it, they, like, when they have their territory, they, you know, they know how to grow food, yeah. they know how to fish, they know how to hunt. And she said, well, what can I do for you? Instead of like you know telling them what they needed, yeah. she said, what can I do for you? And, yeah. and she ended up just doing what they needed and became part of their community. She's an interesting woman. I mean, she just travels around, does whatever she wants. I mean, that's just been her life. And she ended up, uh, at a festival meeting, Martin, and the two of them fell in love, and they got married at a traditional Shipibo wedding, which is probably really unusual for yeah. Westerners. Yeah. And they just brought them, they just adopted them, you know, as family. And they worked uh, with uh, Rohair helping him create a website, a Facebook page, wow. really just trying to create um, you know, a funnel to bring people to do ayahuasca and other plant medicines to... You know give to help their community and help the medicine survive because it's not going to survive on its own it, they they in a way they 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 need westerners who have money to come and experience this and they're looking for uh, they're looking for investors they're looking for um, people to donate money to help keep the school going things like that
0: and is is all of this Geared towards this overarching goal of raising awareness and ultimately stopping the destruction of the Amazon?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, it, it, I, I had this thought um, that is definitely their, their goal uh, to I preserve might- their culture, to preserve the medicine, yeah. and to save the Amazon. You know, they, they know we are all dependent on, on plants for our survival on this planet and specifically the amazon you know it's the the lungs of the world and so much of it is disappearing um you know because of cattle you know the timber companies um meat the meat industry is tearing down rainforest great pastures for cows you know it's 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 bad it's it's disappearing
0: yeah because i i hear about um more and more westerners going down to mm-hmm. experience ayahuasca ceremony mm-hmm. with these shamans and having never done it myself i do wonder you know h- how much of this is like becoming a tourist destination there activity? Is,
1: yeah 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 even at the place where we went i went with a, with um with this group that martha and martin put together there were five of us including um two kids that weren't didn't do any ceremonies they actually were in the Maloka which is the traditional structure for these ceremonies they were in there with us during the ceremony so they slept through the whole thing it was really sweet to have their energy in there
0: two little kids
1: two little kids yeah uh, four and ten beautiful little kids wow. and they were just as quiet they, they we got there at about eight o'clock by nine o'clock they were asleep and then mm. we would drink the ayahuasca at nine and then about an hour later it would kick in and the singing would begin and People would do all kinds of things we can get into that later but um, yeah they, they really do want to uh, bring people to the area you know it, the tourism helps the economy there it helps them to preserve their traditions and their culture and their and this and this medicine you know if they can preserve land through the money that they get from people coming in to have these experiences then you know that's one way to save the Amazon Now
0: is there in, in so doing? Are they having to toe this line between having these experiences as a way to educate and inspire awareness while also avoiding the commodification of their mm-hmm. sacred spiritual ceremonies? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's, that's really the case. Even, like I was, uh, was the, that was the point I guess I was trying to, to get to is that the guy who was running the center you know they had us really well prepared We were, we were on a specific diet for for weeks beforehand. we ate very specific foods while we were there and um, avoided things like alcohol, recreational drugs, sex for a week beforehand, no salt, no sugar, no um, very little meat, just chicken and fish. Mm. Um, no ex- no no excess oils. Like really, just trying to clear our body. And then the ayahuasca itself will cause a purging. You know, mm. People will vomit. They their bowels move very quickly, and it clears things out of you. And oftentimes the clearing is timed with like a like a, a revelation in your thought process while you're in the ceremony. So like something will come up, and you're like, oh my god, that's the you know that's what's been holding me back or that's the thing that I need to do and or that's what I need to let go of and then suddenly I'm like, oh, i got to throw up or I, I have to move my bowels. I, I lost 10 pounds while I was there. It felt much better each time after each ceremony. My body felt really cleaned out. Um, it's probably hard for a lot of people to kind of comprehend that. It's kind of It almost sounds like you're being poisoned or something and that's what's causing you to throw up and it didn't make me feel sick. It just things were moving out of me I don't know how else to say it
0: yeah I mean in this
1: but there were also we were there you know prepared doing this special diet uh-huh, uh-huh. there were uh, one night a group of nine Japanese girls just showed up and said we want to do ayahuasca and they they didn't want to pay the price they didn't want to do any of the diet and they were like well now you have to pay the price you, you have to pay what we charge and okay it's up to you if you're not going to do the diet and then those girls did that ceremony and realized, oh, there's something much deeper to this. It's not just, you know, going in, quote-unquote tripping balls. You know, it was like they were there being guided by these people who were working with them all night long. The shamans are there. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're awake, focused, working with people, helping them through whatever comes up all night long, singing for four hours straight, and they're doing large doses of ayahuasca at the same time. They are also... They are tapped into... The, the plant medicine is telling them, and they're they're seeing things. They're seeing visions as they work with each person. I can't tell you how many times through the three ceremonies that that uh, that we had there that the thing that I was working grappling with in my in my consciousness during the ceremony, as soon as it would just resolve, the shaman would make some sound like, <gasps> and get up and walk away, like right then. I don't know how they were picking up on that it but my that i suddenly had a clearing but they knew it happened over and over and over again they're not just mindlessly singing songs and just you know they're they're doing work i don't know how they do what they do it's it's magical
0: well as far as i understand part of the role of the shaman is to be in communication with the spirit world Mm -hmm. and yeah The only reference point I have for this kind of experience is through psilocybin mushrooms. Mm. And my most recent experience with that was after reading about um, shamanism and and the shamanic uh, path. And even still, I found it like I I couldn't, I was struggling to to connect to this idea of a spirit world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And so. Even while you were there in it, mm-hmm. and you, you feel as though like the shamans are, they're they're aware of what you're experiencing, they're aware of your thoughts and your and your realizations.
1: I wouldn't I wouldn't say that they were aware of my realizations, but they were seeing something in their vision uh-huh. as they were working with me, and whatever was there correlated precisely with. Whatever was going on in my head, I I asked one of them uh, on the, after the third ceremony. I said, "What did you see?" I said the what Japanese guy, yeah. Mitsu. I said, "Mitsu, what did you see?" And I had told uh, Martine what I had experienced, and Martine told him, and because, based on that, he felt comfortable telling me what he saw, because I saw somebody in my life who uh, I I'm not a big believer in like the spirit world and all this stuff. Like I really going into this, that was not my my world you know i don't i i'm not haven't been into astrology or anything like that and um i have a passing knowledge of it but you know that's it but i saw in one of my visions that there was somebody in my life who had some kind of dark energy i mean she was i would have i would call in that in that vision i would call her a witch like
0: did you recognize her oh
1: yeah yeah But the thing that was different, all the other people that were in that particular vision were, I could see their faces and their bodies, even the clothes they had on. They were very normal looking. She was just this dark outline, this silhouette that moved like smoke. And what was happening was the shaman was pulling each of these people out of me. There were people who, whatever, the connection I had with them no longer serves in my life. And he was pulling them out and putting them out in this field behind this fence, this impenetrable fence and one by one and they they were just coming up people I hadn't thought about for years but that but once he pulled them up I'm like oh yeah I still have a connection to that person like I still have I still have some connection some attachment that's not healthy he would pull them up pull them out and it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad experience for me it was actually freeing it was like oh yeah and like oh like I don't need to be like I those people are not in my life anymore it's time to really let them go and so it's not pulling
0: them up to remind you to like go reach out to them and atone for whatever Mm-mm, had happened. No th-
1: I had some of that going on, but that was that was totally separate. This okay. was just like this is the time this has come to let this go. Wow it was very clear to me in the, in the mm-hmm. vision and um, when this particular person came up, she was not like a human. she was like she would just move like smoke she would just sort of he would try to grab her and she would disappear and it just kept happening and finally I was and I had been sitting up in the ceremony at that point and I finally lied down backwards and then it was like he could see her i was no longer blocking you know a lot of this could be just metaphor but in that moment when i lay down and i was out of the way he could get her and he grabbed her and he put her behind this fence and then I, this the very first ceremony of the week this hawk had come to me in the vision and this hawk flew out over and got her and <laughs> destroyed her. And all that was left after this 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 hawk had laser eyes in my vision and just vaporized this person. And all that was left was a virus. And I know a lot about getting rid of viruses through some study that I've done treating Lyme disease and, uh, and co-infections for Lyme disease. And in my vision I started using all these essential oils and destroying the virus and finally killed it with garlic. It's just so weird. And garlic you know, it's like what we use in movies to get rid of vampires and You know, evil spirits and things like that, and this was all happening in this this vision I was having. And just as soon as it cleared, he got up and he blew smoke to clear the energy. I was like, how did he? How did what? What was he seeing? You know, I wanted to know what he was seeing in his vision because he was working really intently with me. And then he got up and put his hands on my head, and his fingers moved a bit. He blew some more smoke into the top of my head. And then it was done. So I asked him the next day, what did, what did you see? And what he told me was that he saw this castle that had a dark energy in it. And he knew it was something, it was like an, like an evil spirit. And that was what he was clearing from me. He said it was very heavy, very intense. And it fits. I mean, this person was a, a really destructive force in my life. Um, and it was in some ways incomplete for me and it needed to be complete it needed to be i needed to see it for what it was and i needed it to be cleared out of my system that was the wildest part of the all the three ceremonies i mean like the most like out of my normal wheelhouse you know like I, I, that's not an experience that i've ever had anything like that N- never had those kinds of thoughts never ever considered this person to be somebody maybe who dabbled in like dark magic or something it, was, it came out of, out of the blue, completely out of the blue. So
0: is that how you've come to understand it? Is that if we are carrying some negative spirit, then is it the result of some dark magic?
1: Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, they These guys down there believe that that does happen, that there are people in the world who are... Bad people who do make deals with the devil, so to speak, and that they, they practice dark arts and that use and even use these these plant medicines for negative purposes. Uh, they say that in some cases, they will, uh, some of these people who are kind of shaman who've gone over to the dark side, so to speak, will use plants to poison people and manipulate them. Hmm. And cloud their vision, get them to do things, almost like people use you know, roofolin in the states. You know, like there are people who do bad things with, with medicine. So I was not prepared to hear all of that when I went down there. It was that was freaky to me to hear that there are people in the world who do things like that. That's not how I consider the world to be. Like I think if, well, most people are good and we do good things for each other primarily then occasionally we screw up you know we don't recognize our shadow side and we do things that hurt other people but I, don't, I believe most people are good these guys were saying that there are people who really are bad people and do bad things well, well now, <laughs> looking back on freaky it,
0: like now that you've got this hindsight vision yeah can you can you say that before this ceremony you see how that spirit was weighing on you?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I knew that her influence in my life was really negative. Did you go in with an intention of wanting to confront that? Uh, that actually, I, I definitely wanted to complete that. Yeah, I wanted to get whatever was left in my system out of my system. But it never occurred to me that it was like dark like that. I just was like, I just is somebody I just need to let go of completely. Okay.
0: And why, why should having a vision of a hawk laser beam vaporize the spirit? <laughs> why should that clear it? I have no idea. But you feel cleared of it?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know it's strange. It's it's very weird. Um. Yeah, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, I, what what I can tell you is that in that that particular vision, when when these people were being brought up and out of me and put behind this fence. After everything was clear, what was left was this big open field that then my wife suddenly appeared in. And it was this big open field that no one else had access to. That was just me and my wife. And that we had no one distracting us from each other. And it felt really just lovely. Just peaceful, mm-hmm. calm. It was a huge relief. And it brought me to tears.
0: Was it relieving in so much as every the whole part of the vision and experience leading up to that field with your wife
1: was that arduous and enduring? Oh yeah, that night felt like yeah with it, that that whole night felt like a spiritual warfare. I mean, I was that was the I was the sickest that night.
0: Were you in, you were in pain?
1: Um, a bit of a psychic pain, I guess, and I was literally physically throwing up and you know going to the bathroom more than. I ever have before in my life. I was telling somebody I threw up more on my fifty. That was my fifty-second birthday. That happened to be that night. I, I threw up more on my fifty-second birthday than I did on my twenty-first 21st birthday. 21st birthday. <laughs> Big shift. Yeah, yeah. They're throwing up for much different reasons. Very different reasons. Yeah, and I was completely conscious through the whole thing. It wasn't. You know, I, I know that some psychedelics put people into a space where they're, they're just not sure what's happening, and it's it's very it's like a very weird world where they yeah. they couldn't possibly, you know do anything productive. This was very productive. I wrote about a half a journal full of stuff that night and the and the previous ceremony and then during the days between. So much stuff came to me. Um, and if, you know, I, we could back up, I could tell you about the first and second ceremonies because they kind of set the stage for what happened in the third yeah, ceremony yeah. in a way. But uh, it was like doing um I don't know, maybe years of psychotherapy in in a week.
0: That's what I've heard people say.
1: Yeah, yeah. stuff came to me that I just had never considered before. Right. So, the first ceremony, drank ayahuasca. I'm laying there and I'm know, all kinds of thoughts are going through my head. I'm like, when is it going to kick in? It's just maybe it's not going to work for me, and like you know, all these things. And I'm, finally, I'm like, okay, just just settle into it. Just just wait. It'll start when it starts. And there's everyone's a little different and I just lay there and lay there and then I slowly my thinking just started becoming much clearer much it's like laser focus, and I started to have just interesting realizations nothing profound but I just started thinking about things and and then suddenly this cloud of geometric shapes appears in my in my mind's eye and in the middle of it is my mother and I it she looks really angry and really sad and kind of lonely, like just disappointed. And it just like it's like a like a sword went through my chest. You know, I just was like, oh, that, that's my mom. That's yeah. that's how. And then it hit me. Holy cow! I'm here to deal with my mom. And just then, the singing started. The the sh- the, sh- the, sh- the shaman, the Unaya, starts singing. Just exactly in that moment, when the vision had started, when I I. Got while I, you know, why I was there at least that night.
0: Were you with a group of people?
1: Yeah, there was a big, big circular room um, with a big, big, tall ceiling. But um, the shaman and they were moving around. Actually, they at that point they were just sitting uh, all together across the room, and they were just smoking mapacho, which is a like a wild tobacco, very very strong tobacco that they use ceremonially, and they were just. Kind of just watching over us while so, we were waiting for the medicine to kick in,
0: so I'm led to believe one of two realities: either the shaman was only tuned into you or everyone had some moment at the same time.
1: I, I don't know, we all debriefed the next morning, and uh, the Martha and Martine, who you know brought us all together as a group um said it was one of the most powerful ceremonies they'd been in. And there were four of the shaman singing that night, and the, their songs were just incredible. Just the, it did was it, beautiful. Did anyone
0: else I, verify a similar experience where they about
1: had... About starting right then? Yes. So, no. I, nobody else said exactly that. Um, Strange. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? Was, yes. was it just me? Did it just happen to be timed with me? But And I could chalk it up to just a coincidence if that was... Just the one time that it happened that night. And this is where it gets like hard to believe in a way. Even though I experienced it, I I, I look back and I'm like, did it really happen that did night? Did it really happen?
0: Like, I mean, all time, night long, but, yeah.
1: things kept happening where I would have a a thought that would gener- would start you know, kind of start in my consciousness and I would be working through it and it and I it, it would crystallize into like, oh, that's what I've been missing. And right then the annoying bug in the forest that had been sounding like a car alarm for the last like 10 minutes would suddenly stop right when I got something or I would be laying there and one of the shaman was working right in front of me and something would come up and I would see it and I'd be like, Oh, that's what I've been, you know, that's what I need to let go of, for instance, whatever it was. And then they would get up and walk away. It just kept happening over and over again. And and I, to the point where I started to recognize like when something, this thought occurred to me, like when something is annoying me, look deeper like is it just the thing that you know is it just the bug in the forest making that sound or is there something in my consciousness that is like a thought that i that i'm entertaining that's like a negative thought you know we have control over our thoughts we don't normally think of it that way you know like if you try to meditate your brain just keeps going you can't stop it but we can choose what to focus on you know what we pay attention to what we use our brain for, I started to recognize that, that I, in that ceremony, that I could use my brain to solve problems. You know, sometimes we just lay around thinking and it's just like, we're, it's just like our brain's in autopilot. Daydreaming. We're just We're daydreaming. We're just like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or,
0: right.
1: Oh, how am I going to, how am I going to solve that problem? You know, like, sure. but it's not really very focused. It's just sort of almost like just, like We're just letting it do what it does. And a lot of times, if you look at it, it's a lot of kind of negative chatter. It's like conversations about not being good enough or not having enough, you know, like not like the world's not abundant enough. Like mm. that's very common. Mm. You know, like, like most people experience those kinds of thoughts on a really regular basis. And I realized in that ceremony that I didn't have to give my mind to that. I could give my mind to creating what I want to focus on the things that I want to manifest in the world, the things that I want to, like the problems that I really want to solve, not like this, the inane, you know, bullshit that we all have to deal with. Like, but I could really use my brain very, in a very focused way. And for whatever reason, whatever was annoying me that night, I started to stop paying attention to the thing that was annoying me. Cause it's really kind of a distraction. You know, like we spend a lot of time being annoyed at things like, the way somebody drives or that somebody didn't say hello when they walked by you know it's like stuff that really ultimately doesn't matter it it keeps us i think it keeps us from being magnificent you know it's like it's harder to to be bold in the world and to try to create something that that's for the good of everyone you know like like what's your highest purpose you know like if you're working on your highest purposes that's not a small conversation that takes some intellectual uh, rigor and it takes some courage and it takes not being comfortable and i was in that ceremony i kept recognizing that when my mind would slip into like a, a smaller conversation about mm-hmm. something like an, an annoyance about something as soon as i would bring it back to to being focused the annoyance would just disappear it just kept happening over and over again. There was just too many synchronicities that night. I don't know what else to say about it than that, but it, it was as if the, the medicine or my subconscious, maybe all the teachers I've ever had in my, in my life, you know, all the, we all read all these things that these powerful people have said before us about how to stay present how to be, how to be happy. and we often forget these things and we kind of go slide back into going to sleep and thinking about just like uh, you know, I wish I had a better car, <laughs> you know, small things.
0: Well, you know, my, my understanding of psychedelic experiences, uh, one thing I've, I've come to, to understand is the more, the more work that we put into our daily lives, just the day to day, the, the more we meditate, the more we look in, look within, and the more yeah. we do these practices that we feel are nurturing our soul, then it places us in a greater ability to interact with plant medicine and, and mm-hmm. go deeper with. Mm-hmm. It. yeah, and so I'm just, you know this is really the only f- first time we've ever actually talked, but right being that you are <laughs> um, a healer. And Mm -hmm. I I take it that you are very in touch with your physical mental spiritual self and Mm -hmm. Like so and and you've put in some work and Mm -hmm. and so going down to South America you were And and I really don't like to Place anyone in a hierarchy, but you were definitely at a different Point in the spectrum than say those Japanese girls who are like no just give us the drugs Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I I, yeah, Yeah. I, I and I don't know any of them so you're right who knows maybe they were all amazing people I'm sure they are and I think their intention was to go have an experience maybe not necessarily to go and yeah, maybe I'm being do work up. on themselves no no but I, I agree with you in fact there's you know the the ayahuasca itself is being used by people who are just having parties There yeah. there's like it's happening up in Brooklyn or' mm. in somebody's basement where they playing music and smoking pot and drinking and and they don't have anybody who's um, who's a, a trained healer working with them. They're playing recorded music from somebody else's ceremony. You know, it's like, yeah, it's 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 they're they're it's cultural appropriate You know, reappropriation. What is the word? Is that, is that the right word? Yeah. They're, they're taking that culture out of its context, and they're totally. and they're making money on it and getting high. Mm-hmm. They're just having an experience and. There may be some value in it, but it's not what you, it's it's not what's available. There's so much more available.
0: Now, how do you think, this is probably a tough question to answer, and I'm just curious about it. Like, how do you think your experience might have been different if you were alone, if the shamans weren't there?
1: That, I have no idea. I don't, I mean, I, they were such a big part of the experience for me that I can't imagine doing it without them yeah. I, it would just I, my, my when I try to think of it it feels really unrooted just like uh, maybe even dangerous I don't know it just doesn't seem like the complete experience that they were so part of what was happening all night long I was so grateful for each of them you know, each day, you know, when I left, I just wanted to hug all of them. They were just. <laughs> and it was, and I, I wouldn't have been able to even fathom that beforehand because seeing them working all night long the way they do is really amazing. They're. they're I don't know how they do it. They, in their training they're describing their training they go into isolation for days weeks months years dieting one plant where they will be consuming and not just ayahuasca like other types of plants they might go and learn they want to learn about one specific plant and what it you know there's like they they have a number of different plants that they consider master plants that are just powerful plants and they will go and learn that plant by consuming it with a very simple diet like boiled plantains and rice and maybe a little fish that's it this japanese guy was a 190 pound construction worker before he came to do ayahuasca the first time he saw that this was what he wanted to do with his life gave up his life in japan started studying with uh, Rohair. the guy probably weighs 130 pounds now super skinny and he's Tons of energy. I mean, he worked. He worked with us all night long. Seemed absolutely fine the next day. All of us are just exhausted from our experience. And this guy drank for th- three times as much ayahuasca as we had.
0: You know I'm curious about the personality of a shaman because I've I've learned that uh, shamans. So someone who might be identified as a shaman down in Peru could potentially become an institutionalized schizophrenic in, in our culture.
1: That was not my experience of these guys. They, didn't, they did not occur like that at all. They occurred to be really sane people.
0: Now, and, and I don't mean to say that a, someone who could be a shaman would be insane, but because they're in the right culture...
1: Oh, the, I, I see what you're saying like yeah.
0: they it was nurtured yeah. so it didn't overtake them, and they didn't just like they weren't uh victims of their mental condition no, like no. even though they could interact with spirits, that ability was actually nurtured as a gift rather than a curse
1: hmm yeah, yeah, it wasn't thrust upon them, it didn't happen accidentally, it wasn't like they were seeing and hearing things before they started working with the plants they they were just normal people. Okay. And then we're introduced to it by you know, a relative or somebody in the community that picked them out for whatever reason. Or the plants chose them, is what they say, is that they have an experience and in the in the plants sort of call to them and say, hey, this is what you're meant to do.
0: Now, is that um, a common progression, though, for, for some individuals? in that society where if they, they might grow up hearing and seeing voices and spirits and then they're nurtured to become That I don't shown. know, I,
1: that wasn't anything I heard from this particular group of people Okay. Um, Rohair learned from his grandfather and his father apparently didn't want anything to do with it and his grandfather said, chose him for some reason over all the other kids in the family, and said you're the one Wow. I don't know exactly why that happened, but chose him. And he started working from the age of 10, going on long trips deep into the rainforest with his grandfather, camping out for weeks at a time, learning about plants. And then at some point did ayahuasca and then just has been doing it for 40 years. Well, so now that reminds
0: me, it takes me back to your 17 year old daughter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of going back full circle here like so your daughter actually entered into this before you did
1: yeah yeah and so what what was that experience like for you uh well initially it was really nerve-wracking because we didn't have any contact with this group for 10 10 days while they were down there in the rainforest um and part part of me was a little jealous because i was I, I wanted to do it myself but You know, I just it wasn't appropriate, or wasn't it wasn't the time for me to do it, and this was it just fell into place for her to go do it. What 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 it was amazing. She came back like ten years older. She was so grounded and powerful, and confident and really present. It was I was unsettled by how how much. Power she had oh my god. I was I was just like what happened down there <laughs> and here's what she said to me You know a lot of kids in, who were 17 who went and did a you know wild psychedelic experience in the rainforest would probably come back really like Bragging about it. She she had none of that. Mm. I, I said what was it like? What would it, what, what was the experience like and she said dad? I don't want to color your vision of what your your experience will be like so I'm, I'm going to let you find out for yourself. Wow. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> yeah. She, and, and it wasn't, There wasn't like there was something she didn't want to tell us. She just wanted a respect that we would have the experience that we would have when we had it, as opposed to having it be like, you know, like a preconceived idea about what it would be like. At, at, and she's been just an amazing kid. She's yeah, a straight what's... A student. Went off to the University of Pittsburgh, she's studying, she was trying to get a triple major, she's now backed it off to a double, she's getting a uh, a double major in psychology and anthropology, and uh, the triple was going to be philosophy, so she's um, very bright, just beautiful kid, loving, amazing person, really mature for her age, I think. So
0: that was about five years ago.
1: Yeah. She hasn't done that since. I mean, she's done some party drugs and things here and there. You know, she's a college student in America, going to festivals and things like that. But she's never had any kind of substance abuse issues or, you know, any problem with her grades or anything like that. You know, she's been pretty mentally stable, healthy, pretty well-adjusted kid.
0: And did she work with the same shamans that you did?
1: No, it was a different group. Okay. Um, I found out about this group through one of my patients, actually. Um, and it was a little more affordable, more affordable than the Pachamama Alliance trip, so that's why I went with these guys. I mean, that was part of the reason. Uh, part of the reason was also this the contact that I had with this group. Um, I, they just really liked what they had to say. Mm. So I went and, went and did it with them. My daughter's experience was a bit different. They were deeper in the Amazon in Ecuador. They flew into Quito in, in Ecuador and then flew into a, another little town. I don't remember the name of the town. Got on a boat, went into the Amazon and then went further in. And they so they met one tribe and then they met another tribe that was much deeper into the Amazon. And the story that my daughter told was that this particular tribe had recently come back from head hunting another shaman. What? Yeah. <laughs> When she told me that story, I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Like that's that that kind of scared me. Like that that uh, she said she never felt unsafe, but she said that they were very stoic people that didn't show a lot of emotion. They were very um, unused to Westerners, so they were maybe a little closer to a traditional Amazonian tribe than the people I worked with. They were right. they were much more accustomed to being around Westerners. In fact, they all had cell phones. And they, uh, you know, I, we walked by one of their little houses, which is a traditional, you know, thatched roof house with no walls, just a, a roof and a floor. And uh, the three girls on the porch were doing a selfie. You know, so <laughs> they're, this group was much more used to being around Westerners. Yeah. Which has its ups and downs, you know. Sure. They're closer to losing the, the the culture, and they're it's a little easier for them to work with people who are different. Right. Uh, well, the thing you 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 know you're asking about you know what the personality of a shaman is, yeah. and um, that made me remember a thought that I had, or, or you know something that I kept noticing the whole week. Whenever um, they would do a little class with us, the, the shaman Roger Rohair would do a. Uh, he would talk about some aspect of how they practice medicine, and the thing that that just that he just kept coming back to over and over again was that it, that their their medicine really is about love, <laughs> and it's about connection. it's about people being in community. His idea of somebody being healed is that they are able to hold down a job and have a family mm. that he, that's That's his ideal. He told a story about a guy who was schizophrenic who came down there, his parents just took him, brought him down there and dropped him off and were like, please help this guy. Because he was beyond help. Nobody had been able to help him. And the guy was a real handful for them. He was attacking people and just really, really crazy. And they worked with him for four years. The guy ended up being healed from schizophrenia. Went to medical school, became a doctor, has a family, and he, and it's all from working with these guys. And I, they worked with a bunch of different plants, not just ayahuasca. They work with a bunch of different types of plants. Oh my gosh! But that's like a pretty amazing story, of what they're up to down there. You know, that it's not just like we're doing this crazy psychedelic that people see visions and you know, right. it, they're they're using plants to help heal things like Parkinson's and schizophrenia wow. and other things digestive disorders anxiety um, you know, they, a lot of what they see is in the realm of anxiety fears and I don't remember the word that they used to describe it um, oh there's a specific word a Shipibo word it's like Sutsos or something like that I can't quite remember what it was Basically it boils down to like stress, anxiety, that kind of thing that we treat a lot in the West. It's it's what I it's I have tons of people who come in for acupuncture, all kinds of reasons, digestive disorders and infertility, pain, headaches, all kinds of things. I'd say eighty percent of them, what I'm treating ultimately is is anxiety, and a lot of people's anxiety comes from our culture. That we are living in a culture that's competitive and that's kinda of disconnected. You know, we a lot of us interact through our digital devices these days and where we don't shut off work you know so many people now experience getting texts and emails at home they're constantly being asked to work to produce more to produce more to produce more and a lot of us are now way mobile you know we don't necessarily live with our family of origin anymore or even the community that we came from we're kind of a global Society And there's a lot of disconnect. A lot of people are unhappy. We spend a lot of time inside cars. We spend a lot of time actually disconnected, physically disconnected from each other. It creates a lot of disharmony, a lot of anxiety, stress. You know, there's tons of uh, research now about all the different types of hormones that are produced just from touch. You know, oxytocin. Mm -hmm. Just touching each other Mm -hmm. creates a positive cascade of hormones in our bodies that... Mm -hmm. That settles our minds and makes us feel better <laughs> you know and we're, we're largely disconnected from that in our, in our society the Shipibo community uh, some of them are still very very uh, much living that way you know they, they do they go to work they do whatever they do during the day and then they come back they play soccer they hang out midday they have a meal together a lot of them live in uh, you know extended families where there's uncles aunts cousins you know all kinds of people living in the same household they support each other they, they care for each other. They had a, a loudspeaker. It was annoying the first couple of days because then it was like, what is that damn loudspeaker going off at late, 8 in the morning? They had a loudspeaker that would announce all the news for the community. If you know, somebody was sick, somebody had passed away, somebody was getting married, they would. Town just, Crier. Ta- they still have a town crier there. In English? Uh, no, it was in Spanish. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, they spoke, most of them spoke <laughs> Spanish. Uh, some, a lot of them spoke Shapibo still. But uh, everybody speaks speak Spanish down there, and they would have the town crier news every morning, and they would party at night too. They had just thumping music going in the town, the town square. Each of the clans, each of the little communities, would have a town square, and they'd have they'd have music and parties. They just they're a very happy, connected. Do they drink alcohol? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do have some some people have some problem with that, but. Um, I didn't hear much of that. I certainly didn't see anybody who was like, you know, it wasn't like being around Philadelphia where you see people who are just on the side of the street that look like they're, you know, have a massive substance abuse problem. I didn't see any any of that there. They all looked really, really healthy, including the kids at that school I mentioned. And these are kids who are considered disadvantaged, right? They, they, you know, they're missing a parent or two parents they are very poor. We pulled up to the school in this in uh, in, in Rohair's truck, got out the back, and this group of eight kids come running up to us, and they were the most beautiful kids I think I've ever seen. They were just so healthy and happy-looking, just clear skin, bright eyes, beautiful little kids, eight to, like, 14 years old, and just as sweet as can be, and connected, no problem maintaining eye contact. They just mm. came up and gave us hugs, and mm. we're just, like, the sweetest kids and they did some songs and dances and stuff for us and then they have a presentation about the school they give us some plant medicine for stomach upset <laughs> that they had learned to make it was just it was a beautiful thing we're like oh my god this existed and the place that they had built for these kids is was gorgeous some Italian architects came and built this thing it was amazing
0: now I guess I I might be cynical mm-hmm. in, in believing that whatever our Western culture touches turns corrupt and and loses its soul (laughs) but it seems as though the uh, Shipibo the Shipibo Uh they have been influenced and touched by our culture Mm. and yet they are still maintaining
1: to some degree I mean one of the problems they're having in terms of maintaining their culture is that a lot of the young kids just they're really seduced by they want to move away. A lot of them want to go. They want to go to university you know, and they become doctors and lawyers. They, you know, they are they're they have access to the internet. They have access to all of that, you know, all that shiny stuff in the world that
0: wow.
1: looks better than, you know, living in a house with dirt floors. And, you know, I mean, I, I could see it too. You know, maybe if that's the way you were raised and there really isn't a way for them to, they they, they can't hunt and fish the way they used to. The territory's been been sold off. I mean, they can't live the traditional culture the way they used to. So a lot of them are driving taxis for the tourists in oh the gosh. in the in the uh in Pucallpa, which is the nearest big boat, I mean, a uh, jungle town. Um they they can't live off the land anymore. Not really. Not the way they are. used to. I mean, oh they they some of them probably still do, but you know, they they're dependent on tourism they're dependent on jobs in the in the in the town
0: that is one thing that comes it, it's
1: sad you know and, and it, it made me think and I didn't mean to cut you off no, but no, this please. is something I thought was really important to, to yeah, share yeah, with yeah. anybody who might be listening is that you know there are a few uncontacted tribes still left in the world right. and I after being with these people and seeing that you know just <laughs> what they still have the what's remaining of their culture and how they How they um, are responsible for the planet? That those uncontacted tribes are the ones we ought to be just leave them alone. Maybe learn from them, but not try to get down there and help them or anything. Like they are the only people left on the planet who are living in harmony with nature. All the rest of us are dependent on you know the global economy that's based on petrochemicals that's polluting our planet and causing global warming. That's my my belief. I mean, I, I used to work for Greenpeace and uh, I just saw th- thing after thing about how decisions were being made where people can't see and these communities are very poor where they're dumping things or just that they're getting rid of the world's waste in places where people don't have know any better and can't fight it. And when there are people who are still on the planet who can live off the land and, and who know how to heal themselves, who know how to hunt and fish and live together in, in a harmonious fashion, like, man, we ought to be leaving those people alone. Let them keep doing that and learn from them and not try to save them. You know, they don't need to be saved.
0: Did life seem uncomfortable for the Shapiba?
1: They seemed really happy. They they were, I didn't see anybody who seemed stressed or worried. They were relaxed. They were healthy looking.
0: Are they growing their own food?
1: Uh some some of them are. I mean, they have chickens. Um, they have, some of them have gardens and things like that. But I know a lot of them go to town and get there's a market. Supplies. In, there's a ta- there's a market in town. They rely on on money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody relies on money. Yeah so
0: so that that kind of brings up this curiosity for me which is you being back here in Maniunk Mm -hmm. and and wondering what that cultural shift is like if it's been shocking
1: for you Uh, yeah it's not shocking I don't think um in in the way that I thought maybe it would be because you know sometimes you go away to someplace beautiful and quiet and then You come back and it's like, oh, my God, it's so noisy here, you know. Something I just feel fundamentally different after being there, after doing the ceremonies. um, I feel way more relaxed. Like, just despite the, you know, noise and congestion and whatnot in Philly, I just don't feel, maybe I just feel really grateful for what I do have, you know. I mean, I, I get how privileged I am. Even just to be able to go down there and do that, you know, yeah. to be able to fly to Peru yeah. and go do an ayahuasca ceremony for a week. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm doing pretty, I'm doing all right. <laughs> you know, I, I can't complain. Sure. Um,
0: yeah, I guess you'd hope a trip would, would allow you to re-enter your life feeling, feeling gratitude for what you have rather than feeling culture shock.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I one of the things that i that i see out of it is that i really and my wife and i have talked about this a lot is 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 trying to find a property that we can have that we can have our kids live there too as they get older you know they're one's 22 one's seventeen, and we happen to have a really close relationship with our kids so it's possible that they they actually have expressed interest in doing that with us like actually being part of staying near us um, And my parents are getting older, and I think about them and bringing them to live with us. And I I just feel like I didn't used to feel that way. I kind of wanted to get away from everybody. But I feel differently now, not just because of this trip. I mean, this trip sort of anchored it. I've spent some time down in Mexico, too, and the culture there um, is much more communal as well, at least the people that I've been around. Uh, We were at a Buddhist retreat center in Baja, that um, we spent a week just participating in, in just running the camp, basically. Like, cooking together and hanging around the campfire at night. Yeah. Just It just feels so good to be yeah. living that way. Everyone's kind of just pitching in and taking, taking turns and hanging out with each other. And somebody, one of the people's kids just kept running around with us on our hikes. He would just run with us. It was sweet. You know, it was such a nice time, and I don't know. I I've thought about co-housing. You know, building like starting a co-housing community, something like that. I don't know. I think there's there's that's sort of the types of things that have been more of interest to me lately since being down there. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and then the idea that there's like you know that that there are uh, that there's just part of our senses that we don't have access to normally. And that that some of these plant medicines give us access to more information and guidance that we can get on our own. So I'm interested in exploring that more.
0: Yeah, I wonder, is it, do the Shipibo hold a belief that these plant medicines are meant to show us our potential and then we should strive to embody that without the plant medicine? Because I feel like that's, mm. that's sort of what I've received from Eastern philosophy. Like mm-hmm. Alan Watts has that old saying, which is mm. like, when you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> you know? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't think that they think... I, I don't know specifically. I don't speak much Spanish, so it was hard for me to be asking a lot of the questions oh, I would like to have yeah, asked. They were, yeah. they were filtered through. And I was there doing my own work, so I was like... It wasn't until the second ceremony that the idea of writing a book about what I learned came to mind... So, I'd like to continue to strengthen my Spanish and go back and, you know, like, wait, let me ask more questions. Yeah. But I I don't think they, you know, if you're going to be a shaman, it's a huge commitment. Like, maybe more than any other commitment that I think that I can imagine. I, I would think it'd be easier to be the president mm. of the United States than to be one of these. Guys, they, their commitment to the the way they learn the medicine and the and how they spend their life is just extraordinary. I, I'm incredibly impressed by them. Um, but not everybody lives that way, and there are plenty of the people who have never done ayahuasca. It's not like their whole culture is just doing this stuff all the time, right? Um, and part of that is because of the influence of Christianity on these missionaries have come down, and some of the clans are like. They'd like, oh we don't do that stuff. We think that's like devil's medicine. Really? And then other clans are like, no, oh, this is like this is the the way to understanding your life on Earth. Yeah, I mean, I would think it would be a rite of passage for every Shipibo. I, w- I would think so too, but it's not. They're they're not all they're not all doing it. And apparently the Shipibo <clears throat> came to it later in their culture. The story that, that we that we were told was that at some point, point, over the last two or three hundred years, is when they started using the, this type of plant medicine. They had used plants, but they were using them only in the in the, only to help them hunt and fish, huh. to give them more stamina, to to be able to. Um, this one guy says there's a plant that he uses that helps him talk with the river dolphin that tells him where to fish.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what uh, that's the story he tells. But they, sometime during uh, the colonial colonialization, uh, they started to lose their territory and started have to rely on trade more than on their own trapping and uh, hunting, fishing. And they start they started doing trade with this these Incans in uh, the, in the north in the highlands and on one trip this Shipibo elder who had his son with him his son was sick and the Incan said how long has your son been sick and he said whatever he said and the Incan said well I can help him bring him to me and they started doing some medicine and they, it healed him and the uh, Incan says I can teach you but you have to promise you're not going to teach anybody else and so the, the the story is that the, the Incans taught them the plant medicine the way they use it now, the, sh- the ayahuasca and other master plants
0: hmm. yeah I mean I I wonder if that that's new, I haven't heard that Like yeah, me ayahuasca is relatively a recent addition
1: for this particular, for the Shipibo they were more hunters and fishers and warriors, they Okay, weren't, they weren't a tribe that was using using ayahuasca.
0: Yeah, and I guess these ceremonies are happening throughout <coughs> South America. It's mm-hmm. not just in Peru. It's
1: yeah, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Brazil. There's different places where it's happening, and it's happening in the states. It's happening in Europe. It's uh, they're they're bringing it out. They're starting to grow it in other places.
0: Now, being a healer, I mean, have you started to feel like, wow, this is so powerful, and my life is geared towards healing others. are you feeling like you want to try and incorporate ayahuasca into your healing modalities no
1: um I think that i think it's it's powerful medicine it's certainly not anything I would want to tinker with as a you know a practitioner I wouldn't want to try to you know guide ceremonies or anything i I wouldn't begin to think that I could do that mm-hmm. I would tell people go and do it mm-hmm. where the people who are doing it know what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, I do think it's got value like I said I think it was like 10 years of psychotherapy in and a week
0: yeah.
1: um, I saw things about my mother and my father and not just you know recognizing that she had some some anger but I saw her, her whole history with her father and my father and then me and it gave me a really clear understanding of why she is the way she is now her father went away to war World War II and he came back and then he went to Korea and when he came back from Korea he was just he was gone he mm-hmm. wasn't the same person mm-hmm. so she felt like she, she feels like she lost her father and then uh, my father was I don't think he was able to be there for her in, a, in the way she needed so in a in, he was just, he was gone a lot, I think, in a way that she felt abandoned. So that was a second sort of abandonment by a significant man in her life. And then I moved away to the East Coast. I was her first son. She really loved me. And I needed to go away and do my own thing. And it really hurt her. And I see that now in a way that I hadn't seen before. Like, I was aware of it to some degree, but... Something in that vision changed how I perceive it. Like, I have way more compassion for her. Way more of an understanding. And I see now why I was mad at my dad for so many years. I, I get that he, in some ways, didn't uh, defend my mom. Like, I, I had some, what I thought, the, the complaints I had about my mom were, Kind of in the nature of, like, she's got some kind of mental health issue, and my dad never stood up for her in that way. Like, he just kind of would throw her under the bus. Like, yeah, your mom's crazy, leave her alone. And even though I agreed with him, I think there was a part of me that was mad at him for that—that that, that he didn't stand up for her more, mm. that he did, that he wasn't able to be with her. He is now, but not when he was younger. Mm. And it even occurred to me in that vision that that it's possible they shouldn't have even stayed together. I don't know that they were really happy together. They certainly didn't seem happy together when I was a kid. They seemed like they were really dissatisfied with each other. Mm. They bickered all the time. And it was hard as a kid having your parents fight all the time over the stupidest little thing. But seeing all of that just in a really quick, like, poof, just a very quick moment it's, gave me a lot, of a, a lot of just compassion for them. Like, man, it was hard for them. Yeah, It <laughs> they was were, they were really hard for them.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think I ever gave them credit for how hard it was being a young couple with two kids and they, they didn't have the tools that I have now. My wife and I have done so much self-development work all kinds of things we've got so many tools we have we have conversations my parents never had could not have even imagined having and we're really fortunate because of it and our kids are really fortunate yeah. my parents didn't have that that stuff didn't really exist when they were young there was nobody out teaching people all this kinds of stuff right. <laughs> I'm like really fortunate
0: so was there was there a a moment where you were like
1: I gotta call my mom. Uh, I when I got back, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. How'd that conversation go? It was good. I talked to her a few times. You know, it wasn't. Um, I didn't feel like there was anything I had to say necessarily. Other than like, just like, "Hi, I love you." Yeah. And you know what I did was was different for me because the last thing I I, I pos I put up a post on Facebook right before I kind of went off off the radar down there. You know, there's almost no internet. I um. I put a post. There's 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 ants down here that can paralyze you. <laughs> oh. So I can just imagine my mom oh my seeing God. my Facebook post. There's ants down here that can paralyze you, and then her thinking, "What does he mean? There's ants down there that can paralyze oh you?" Gosh. And then not hearing anything else from me for a week, you know. And so at one point I I got a SIL signal and I called my wife and I'm like, "Please tell my mom I'm 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 alive and yeah. I'm fine." Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like. You know, letting her be worried because she's a, she worries about everything, and and I and I can use that as an excuse to be kind of callous, kind of insensitive to, to that. Uh, you know, I I've been kind of a dick sometimes to my mom, so I stopped that, and just cut that off. I mean, as
0: far as as far as spiritual experiences go, assisted by plants or not. Mm-hmm. What more could we ask for than to to leave that experience and to move on with our lives, feeling deeper love and appreciation for the people that are in our lives? Yeah. And then also to be able to understand weights from past experiences that have been holding us down and to clear those. Mm-hmm. And and so, it, for me, it's just like even the more I talk about these experiences. The more i'm I'm just so absolutely convinced that these plants have not like really just such positive
1: experiences to offer us. That's been my experience, at least especially with with ayahuasca that the the last thing I'll share about, well maybe not the last thing, but like the, the last thing that I that I really wanted to share about it in um, going into this conversation was the second ceremony. Um and and what I got out of that and it was I I think it was the plant showing it to me. I um we drank the ayahuasca and they asked you want a bigger dose or a same dose this time and Martha said, you know, your dose was good for you, right? I said, Yeah, it was fine. But in the back of my head I was thinking, I, I think I need more tonight But I was like, Well, I'll just trust them, I'll just take what they gave me. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't very strong. I wasn't feeling, I wasn't seeing the visions. Every time they would start up, I would try to focus on them and they'd just sort of disappear. Um, I wasn't even feeling the sort of like what they call the madinacion, which is like a dizziness, like a drunkenness, like kind of like, it's like a little hard to walk. It just makes you really heavy and you just want to lay there and just experience the, the experience and it, that wasn't very strong you know I threw up once and, and I just was laying I was like, oh, this is not really happening for me tonight. I, I should have taken more but now it's too late because I don't want to be up all night long you know I want to try to get some sleep tonight. you know it was like all of this like me being cranky with the experience that I was having and thinking it should be some different way like it's not right that's that I can, that like I didn't do it right or I should have you know all these thoughts like I'm not doing it right. Mm. And eventually, I go back in and I, and I lay down, and um, Mitsu, the Japanese shaman, comes around and he's working with me. And for some reason, I'm finally able to kind of like let it let go into the experience a bit more, and some thoughts start to come up, and this thought comes up that I can't be powerful by myself. I don't know where that came from. It just that's just like it's just like crystallized in my consciousness in the moment and he makes the (laughs) sound and gets up and walks away. I'm like, ah, that was the message I was supposed to get. Okay. I'm like, yeah, man, I've been a one man show my whole life. I started my own businesses. Like I never went to work for anybody. I started a business in college, started another business, started another business. I've primarily been like a one guy, you know, one, one person operation and, um, I've been fortunate that I've been able to make, you know, a living doing that, and there is only so much power you can have when you're by yourself. You know, there, you only have so much leverage when you, when your message is one at a time, one person at a time. You know, like you can. Any big business, you know, obviously makes a lot of money by having multiple people working for them, um, and the people who are the biggest teachers in the world have big platforms. You know, they. And they've got people around them that are helping them you know like that kind of thing anyways so I, I, I see this I'm like oh yeah I gotta stop being afraid to let other people help me you know I gotta I gotta share my story I gotta be which is kind of why I was excited to get together with you and talk about this because like it's it's kind of a new thing for me so here's where the night got interesting so that I had that experience ah, I got oh, to get out of my head I got to be with other people and then and I, lay, I lay there, and I'm like, "Was well, there going to be more that comes? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think I might be done for the night. And I thought, well, I might as well sit up and watch this whole thing. And I sat up, and I'm watching the shaman's work, and I'm watching people go through their things. Some of them are laughing. Some of them are crying. Some of them are just asleep and snoring. It's very different for everyone. And it's just beautiful. I just... I get in that moment how beautiful it is how lucky I am to be alive how lucky I am to be able to have that experience to be with these incredibly gifted healers working with all these this disparate group of people these nine Japanese girls who were all having different experiences it just just occurred like really beautiful and then it hit me I spent the whole first part of that evening resisting how it was going thinking it should be different than it was thinking I should have asked for something else, uh, just like all the self-doubt, all this stuff. I was just focused on what was wrong or what what I wanted to be different. I wasn't present to what was, to what, to what is, to what's so. As soon as I got present to what was happening, I'm like, this is the most beautiful experience I can imagine.
0: Hmm.
1: And then it hit me. I lived my whole life that way. I run around thinking things should be different. And it's what keeps illness in place. We resist how our bodies feel, we resist the anxieties that we have, the we we're tr- trying to like just feel good all the time in our culture, I think a lot of us, especially me, you know, I've been an athlete all my life and I always want to feel good because I always want to be able to perform, I want to be able to like just, you know, feel full of energy and not be tired and but that's just not how it is. You know, we get tired. We get sore. We get, you know, our bodies tell us we need sleep or we need food or, you know, or something tells us we need to pay attention to something. And we spend a lot of time trying to stop those signals. It's like we're trying to put tape on the idiot lights on our cars instead of paying attention. Like, oh, there's a reason I don't feel good. You know, for some, for some of us, we have these shitty jobs that we don't like and, or we're in relationships that don't work or you know there's all the kinds of reasons that we're, we don't, we're just not paying attention to the signals that we get and, or we don't even recognize how, how lucky we are and, and we're not grateful for what we have you know it's like you can go both ways so uh, it just showed me that I, I spent a lot of time resisting
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of just accepting how things are it's like the serenity prayer you know God grant me the, what is it? God grant me the, um, I've forgotten what it is. Grant
0: me the strength to accept that which I can't change, and change that which I can't
1: accept. It's it's something like that. It's it's the wisdom. Oh right. To accept, man, I wish I could remember right yeah. now because it's a great prayer. Yeah. But it's basically, accept what, accept what. Um, what can't be changed. What can't be changed give me the courage to change what can be changed and, know, and the and wisdom the, to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference, yeah. So it's like, it really is a beautiful way to live yeah. life. You know, People who are in 12-step programs, you know, when they really embrace that, it gives them a lot of power, a lot of freedom, a lot of peace. And, and that's just like available for all of us. You don't have to be an addict to, right. to live your life that way. But that, that ceremony showed me that. And it, it, as soon as I saw it, it inspired me to write a book about how to be present. and writing the book about it will have will be the thing that helps me to continue to practice it you know because it's like everything I had a teacher in acupuncture school who said life is not a one-walk dog you know you can't just like walk that dog once and expect the dog to be happy you got to keep walking the dog you know you got to keep being present You and I keep remembering that life is really amazing Mm -hmm. and I have it really good Mm -hmm. and there's amazing people around all the time and Mm -hmm. I miss them because I get caught up in my little worries Mm -hmm. about things and so that that for me that was the the most powerful ceremony and and on the onset it it was the least powerful there was like the least seeming to be happening no crazy visions no you know body sensations like it was like I almost felt normal and then but suddenly at the realization that life's amazing, wake up, pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah, you're I mean, missing it if you're not. <laughs>
0: right, it, it reminds me that like, more important than whatever's being ingested is the set and the setting. You've mm-hmm. heard that before with yeah, any yeah, sure. with psychedelic experience, really with any intentional experience. And, um, yeah, I mean, that just... I Think elucidates for a lot of people who, who might want to enter into these ceremonies the set mm-hmm. You know for for the set Accept you know bring bring a radical acceptance into mm-hmm. the ceremony it you may not You may not it may not be what you expect it to be it probably won't be what you expect it to be and it and it may not be um, as trippy or as uh, altered as you, you think it'll be mm-hmm. but um there's still there's still so much to be gained from an intentional experience yeah yeah it's the truth so yeah and, and I've also heard it said that like you know we can take psychedelics and um and and content can change dramatically like, the walls can start melting and the mm-hmm. leaves can start talking and the sun can turn purple and and then there's trips where like content doesn't really change at all but just like a simple walk on the sidewalk feels ecstatic yeah and so it's not the content that's changing it's like the internal feeling mm. and, and recognition of it that's changing and that's really I believe the kind of experience that we ought to be aiming for,
1: I totally agree with that. I think that the the other is the booby prize, you know like that that seeing all kinds of crazy things happening and that, that's neat, you know maybe everyone should experience that once just to know that that's a possibility <laughs> the but,
0: booby prize, yeah,
1: but it's not the the best part of it. It's right. like it's it's just there was so much so much that was revealed to me in that in the next two ceremonies that wasn't the crazy vision stuff it was more like oh wake up you're missing life when you want it to be some other way than it is like that's that's like the biggest lesson I could possibly have gotten out of it and I didn't need to see any you know I didn't need to see the anaconda or or any crazy geometric pyramids right. floating in my brain you know yeah, like so. I didn't see I didn't need to see any of that I just yeah. I needed just to wake up a little bit yeah. yeah. Beautiful story. Beautiful. Yeah. It was amazing. I somebody asked me the other day, I said would you would you do it again? I said, I don't know, man. Give me another couple of weeks for it to sort of like come in and, you know. The first week back was nothing felt normal. And um my body was still like reacting to foods. I any of the foods that weren't on the diet were making me feel really sick to my stomach, it took it took a week and a half for me to be able to kinda of eat quote unquote normal again and I eat a pretty healthy diet as it is but yeah it it took a while for me to reorient and interestingly I had a guy a patient last night who came in and uh, he knew I was in Peru and I told him I said yeah I went down there for an ayahuasca retreat and he's like oh the guy does a lot of ayahuasca he's done a lot of ceremonies and um, for some reason having another conversation with somebody who has done it brought all kinds of like sensations back into my body, almost as if it was kind of reactivating the medicine in my body, not in like any kind of trippy way, but like in just in this hard to describe sense um, of just being connected to something that I normally can't feel. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, it's like, like I, I almost like a presence of something sort of foreign in my body but not foreign bad like just extra mm. I don't know how to describe that otherwise <laughs> they say the plant stays with you for a while Oh, okay. like it can be really active in your body for a couple of weeks uh, and then they say if the anaconda comes to you in, in your visions that, that that'll stay with you for seven years I don't know what that means <laughs> it wasn't scary when it came to me in the vision, it was just like, it was checking me out and I was checking it out. And then it got closer and closer. We're like, okay, everything's fine. Wasn't scary at all. None of it was scary. It was all just, some of it was hard to be present with, you know, like like emotionally difficult. Some of it, I was laughing. At one point I was throwing up and the guy next to me was laughing at me because I was throwing up and that made me laugh even more. I mean, it's just like, it was like, the most amazing moment. I've never enjoyed throwing up so much, yeah. but it was like this camaraderie. And it was right after I recognized, I'll oh, stop worrying about things being perfect. Like just love it the way it is. And it was just the funnest time he's laughing and I'm laughing. We're just, and then he's laughing more and I'm laughing more and I'm throwing up. And, and it was just clearing all this anger out of me in that moment. It was clearing all this anger out. I didn't even realize how much anger I was storing in my, in my body and it was wow. just like just being released and afterwards I just felt so relaxed and just was laughing so easily
0: wow yeah yeah you know because I was about to to postulate on this and thinking that at least when I've been in altered states of consciousness with a spiritual intention which is almost every time I do it um, if I find myself in a laughing fit just laughing and laughing and laughing there's almost part of me that's like all right, enough laughing. Like, get get back on track here. Like, you're, you're <laughs> supposed to be talking to spirits and connecting to God. Right. But I, it's It's really nice that, that you say like, those moments of deep laughter. That you know, that's all part of the healing too. There, there's like,
1: anger yeah. that's draining away as as we laugh. hmm It's interesting from Chinese medicine uh, uh, perspective, anger uh, that is a, that emotion is associated with the wood element which is in the organs that are associated with that are liver and gallbladder and that right before that like that particular vomiting and that like release happened I was laying on my right side like you would if you were doing a, a liver cleanse where you drink a bunch of olive oil and uh, lemon juice where it just catalyzes your gallbladder to start pumping bile out and clearing out like gallstones and and uh, it, it just purge your liver physically That's, that's kind of what felt like that was what was happening in that moment. But what's interesting is that the energy of the wood element, the anger, the liver and the gallbladder is, is that anger. Once that moves, it feeds the fire and the emotion associated with fire is laughter and the organs that are related to that are the heart. So it was this, as if the, the stuckness of the wood element, the anger just cleared and fed the fire. And then it was all this laughter. And my diaphragm was so loosened up for some reason, like after that it was like it was like there was just more space in my body for for laughter just to naturally occur, and I was just having a ball, and that happened for a while, and then it just kind of cycles down
0: so so that makes me wonder then about you know if if one is experiencing anger issues mm-hmm. like a short temper mm-hmm. then is that a call to to clear the liver and to See connection with the woods.
1: It could be, you know, the it it, it it's it's like what, you know was it chicken or egg was did the anger cause the liver issue or did the liver issue leave the person feeling ir, irritable and so it shows up like anger. Um, but either way, you know, you can treat the root or the branch,
0: mm. and
1: there are therapies. Uh, there's a process called the Hoffman process created in the 60s by this um, psychologist Bob Hoffman and it, one of the things one of the techniques they use is like a primal scream type of a therapy and they take a wiffle ball bat and beat a pillow and they they put negative emotional patterns on paper and beat them like I don't want to you know I'm letting go of this and they beat the crap out of it, you, it it's an, express, an expression of anger you can go out and do it on a bike you can go to the gym and do it you can hit baseballs golf balls and you know like you can just express that anger physically it will it will help clear it out of the body um changing the diet you know uh, beets are really good for the gallbladder Um, milk thistle extract is good for the liver uh cutting down on alcohol a little bit of alcohol is not bad it will actually help to soothe the liver to some degree that's why a lot of people drink a lot of alcoholics are kind of angry people and they're trying to they're trying to soothe the liver, but it, it only works for a short period of time before the alcohol starts to damage the liver and making the problem worse, and they're just ignoring and really just burying the anger. They're not really dealing with it anymore. Uh, same with marijuana. Marijuana can can help to move stagnant liver chi, what we would call it, but it can also, too much of it will depress the liver and block that movement of, of the anger. It'll dull it, but it doesn't get rid of it.
0: How does the wood element play into it?
1: Well, the wood element uh, is the exp- in Chinese five-element um, me- medical cosmology. The, the, there are five elements. There's the water, which feeds the wood, the wood, which feeds the fire. Fire burns out, creates ash, create, basically creates earth. It's a process of oxidation. You know, when plant when a tree falls into the wood in the woods and starts to decompose, it's oxidation. It's it's a very slow burn. It's breaking down. It feeds the earth, and that and minerals come from the earth, which is metal. Metal forms water again, hydrogen, oxygen, or air, metals basically. So the Chinese believe that. Everything that happened in nature was also happening in us. So they would see the cycles through the seasons. The winter is the water. The springtime is the wood. The summer is the fire. The late summer, which is the harvest, is the earth. And then the late fall before the winter is the the metal element. And each of these is an energetic movement. And, And each of them they mapped on were different emotions. So the water is fear or courage. Is, is the you know counterpart. Uh, wood is anger or uh, like benevolence. Um, fire is uh, is joy, laughter or sadness when it's lacking. Earth is is worry, or or thoughtfulness, nurturing, and then back and then uh, the metal is grief. Uh, or inspiration. Mm. The. Organs associated with the metal element are the lungs and then the large intestine, so taking in and letting go. And uh, so the wood element, the organs associated with that are the liver and the gallbladder. And the energetic expression shows up as, as uh, like, like a plant bursting through the soil trying to get to the sunshine. You know, it's like an upward, a strong upward movement. You know, plants will crack concrete. And that's the same thing with anger, you know, anger, and that, that expression of the wood element, that wood energetic element, or wood, that wood energetic is just trying to burst forth and get to the sunshine. And yeah. When it gets blocked, when it gets dampened, yeah, alcohol abuse, or alcohol or, you know, abuse, some the kids who are abused when they're, you know, when they're little, that creates a certain amount of anger in the system. And for some people they they get stuck there and they get and sometimes it's like a family history of angry people um,
0: so when you're working with a client <clears throat> then, mm-hmm. are you you're working within this matrix mm-hmm. and and does does the, the healing begin with identifying um, physical or emotional issue Mm-hmm. And then, based on, you know, what, what what when you start with a a client, what you know, what's that journey like?
1: Well, so I initially studied five element acupuncture, and that it's very much in this in this realm of like identifying which of the elements, which of the energetic expressions is stuck for that particular person. So, are they are they angry, sad, worried, fearful, or grieving? That's simplifying it, but that would be the where I would start, and then you would treat that element, the, the meridians and the organs associated with that element. either you would you would try to increase it or decrease it. You would try to if it was excessive, like somebody had excessive anger, you would be intending to disperse it to feed the fire, to get the movement of the energy unstuck so that everything would start to, to work better. Other times you were trying to feed it because it was too weak. So you might treat the the one before it like say somebody's wood is really brittle, like they like you mentioned earlier, they have a like a short fuse. But maybe they can't follow through on their anger. They like they get really frustrated and then they just never really accomplish anything. Like they can't use that energy mm. to follow through on mm. their plans. Like they, they're just frustrated all the time. That person their wood is kind of brittle. It's like a tree that doesn't have enough water. Yeah, It's brittle. So you look to the organs of the water element. You treat the water, yeah. So that's simplifying it. But that's 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 the that was what I initially studied. I'd studied five element acupuncture. I practiced that for about three or four years before I started adding in other things. Um, and then I, I studied with a guy named uh, Dr. Tan, Dr. Richard Tefu Tan, who had synthesized five different acupuncture systems into, into one to treat pain primarily and I was just seeing a lot of people who had pain and I, started, I wanted to be more effective at treating pain so I started using his system and it was very effective for treating pain uh, and then I studied traditional Chinese medicine which is more of a, um, a little bit more Western in, in some ways in terms of mapping on uh, a syndrome with a particular formula of points and I just learned that I didn't practice it too much. But then over the years I've just begun to do sort of my own style of acupuncture uh, using Dr. Tan's methodology with the point selection being informed by the five element model. So I will use points a little bit differently than he than he taught because I, my five element training will tell me, you know, based on that per- person's energetics that I should add in certain points. Um so when somebody comes in, they usually have a chief complaint. You know, they're, they've got a tight neck or shoulder pain or low are, back pain. Are or, most
0: of the complaints a physical ailment rather than an emotional one?
1: Not all the time, but, but predominantly. Uh, most people are in that sort of that that um, paradigm that there's something wrong and they want to get it fixed. And... Um, some people will come right out and start talking about the emotional stuff and if they do then great that's where we go it but if they come in talking about the physical stuff no i ask I'll i'll test the waters a little bit to find out you know what's going on emotionally are they even aware of it some people aren't aware of it like they just they're just plowing through life not recognizing that they're not really happy so i like to give people the the time to talk about it when they're ready as opposed to trying to kind of force them into a conversation about something that maybe they're not comfortable talking about yet I find that doing community acupuncture the way I do it gives them a a chance to build up some confidence that this medicine can help them and that they can trust me and then when that happens then I have all kinds of great conversations with people they'll open up about things that they're afraid to talk about you know I have some people come in who um, are trying to get pregnant and in the course of the conversation they and I see it pretty quickly I've been working I've worked with uh, close to 6,000 people at this point so I've seen all kinds I've seen pretty much everything you can imagine and I see a lot of patterns and I just you know we're all unique and we all have uh, we all have similarities too Mm. and I was working with somebody recently for fertility and I saw really quickly that she's really trying to control everything in her life you know, she's trying to keep everything perfect and she's trying to do fertility perfectly and you know it's like that's that's a, you know you, you can't be a mom and be perfect you know that's a messy affair mm-hmm. <laughs> kids will push you they will push every button you have and um, her trying to hold everything together and like everything right is takes an enormous amount of energy and she's tired and she doesn't recognize it and Mm. so that's one example a lot of people are just stressed out and the doctors used to say go take a vacation or get pregnant and there's some truth to that like there's there's the way the brain works is that if it assesses that you're under stress that you're sort of under attack you know the the fight-or-flight response is active if the brain assesses that it's, it doesn't send the signals to your, to your ovaries and your uterus that it's a prime time to get pregnant. It really will shut that thing down. You know, it, it's true for men too. When people feel relaxed and happy, it's way easier to get pregnant. Mm. And acupuncture helps people to feel more relaxed. It can reset the. Uh, the stress response in the brain. It can, it's it's essentially like coming in and taking a vacation a couple times a week. Most people find it very relaxing. Some people find it profoundly relaxing. And when you're more relaxed, your blood flows more easily. Your breathing slows down and becomes deeper. Your heart rate variability uh, becomes optimized. Your nervous system down-regulates start to sleep better. Their digestion digestion improves. Their muscles relax. Like just they they start functioning better, and it's it's reliable. Like I can see it over and over again <clears throat> when people come in. If they give me a few weeks, I'll have them feeling a lot better.
0: <laughs> and
1: almost no matter what they've got going on.
0: Are you working with needles?
1: Mm-hmm. Needles, moxibustion, uh, do some cupping.
0: What was that?
1: Moxa combustion. Uh, we burn um, mugwort. Is the plan. Oh, moxa. Moksha.
0: Yeah. Is what uh, I've been. I've heard it called.
1: Yeah. They're, yeah. People pronounce it differently. Yeah.
0: And, and that's where you are holding the smoke over a certain part of the body.
1: Yeah, I don't use the um, the pole moxa, which is maybe what you're familiar with, when you have it lit over yep. the body. I use direct moxa. I just put it right on the skin and burn it on the skin, and when they feel it get warm, I take it off drop it into a cup of water to put it out.
0: So let me actually just focus on the needles. Like, mm-hmm. why should impaling the body with needles <laughs>
1: help? Well, we're, we're, a, uh, we're a network of energetic fields. You know, there's all, there's, we have an electric current. We have a frequency that we vibrate at. We're essentially a crystalline structure based on water. And inserting a stainless steel needle or silver or gold needles. I, I use stainless steel, the other ones are pretty expensive and you don't really need them. But you insent, insert that needle, it changes the way the energy flows in the body and you can measure it. You can actually measure the acupuncture points with an oh- meter that measures electrical resistance. You can run it along the meridian, and it'll beep when you get to the acupuncture points as long as you set the sensitivity right. Um, there's Japanese acupuncturists who do a, 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 a diagnostic technique to determine what area of the body has excess energy, and then they use what are called ion pumping cords to shunt the energy from the excess to an area of deficiency, and it's very powerful. If you don't do it right, you can mess somebody out, but when it's done right, you can get rid of pain instantly, you, improve in function, you can improve function very quickly. Um, there are studies using functional magnetic uh, resonance imaging, you know, fMRI, where you needle certain points in areas of the brain light up that are associated with eyesight, for instance. Mm. So you can treat to improve eyesight by needling a point with mm. no known nerve pathway to that part of the brain. So there's some things we just don't know. Uh, this point here between the thumb and the uh, and the uh, index finger, called Hoku, it's a large intestine four, is one of the most powerful points in the body. And it just also happens to be that there are more connections in the brain related to the thumb than any other part of your body because of the, the way we use our thumbs. We're, they're so, I mean, you, we, we use our thumb pretty much all day long. It's what sets us apart from pretty much any other animal. And there are just connections in our brain to all parts of our body related to our thumb you needle that point you're affecting a lot of different functions in the body it's mm. why that point has so many uses uh, so there's there's reasons why when you needle certain points you have a big effect there are some points you needle that have a very specific very specific effect and then there are there's channel theory where you're using the flow of the meridian and unblocking it using certain points to Function away from that area. So, when I first started practicing in Philadelphia, I was treating back pain and never putting needles in anyone's back. I was using only distal points, points away from the area, and it would just routinely work. People are like, this is magic, you know? (laughs) It's fun. Um, Over the years, I've started to add more local points because I find that there's a lot of people who just have structural issues from. Chairs that we sit in, the way we work, mm-hmm. the way we drive—we mm-hmm. have shortened hip flexors, or so as is tight from being under stress, and it creates a lot of back pain. So it's really effective to go do some local needling. I still use the distal points. I don't. I just do both instead of just doing one or the other. I just double down, cover all the bases. Do you ever prescribe pharmaceuticals? No, it's not in our scope of practice Not in your scope of practice mm-hmm. I'll tell people to take things like turmeric As an anti-inflammatory uh, Sometimes tell people to eat certain foods Or avoid certain foods, things like that But nothing with pharmaceuticals
0: This is something I grapple with If I'm, it's, it's rare that I'm in a serious amount of pain Where mm-hmm. I'm considering taking something like Tylenol Or aspirin or ibuprofen But it happens sometimes Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have this internal conflict where I'm, on the one hand, wanting to relieve the pain mm-hmm. and want to take this silver bullet. And um, on the other hand, I'm not sure how it's long-term affecting my body.
1: Yeah, well, I think most of those things, if you use them short-term, it's not such a big deal. You know, I'll use an aproxen every once in a while. It works quickly, you know. It's an anti-inflammatory. Sometimes I'm just like, I just want the pain in my knee to go away quickly, and I'll use that. You know, if I beat myself up on my bike, I'll do that occasionally, but pretty rarely. You know, those things, they have, they can damage your, your stomach, your liver, your kidneys have to detox them. There, there's, there's side effects to to most pharmaceuticals, and some of them there are tremendous side effects. You look, you know, read the labels and. Bad shit. It's it's when we become over, I think, over-reliant on, on anything, really. Even even acupuncture, you know, I mean, it's pretty harmless. But if you're doing it all the time, you have constant issue, and you're constantly needing to be put back together, you know, it's probably something you're doing. Like, there's probably some way in which you're living your life that's out of balance. So... Um, that's not always the case, you know, sometimes people get hit by cars, (laughs) you know, they've got, they've got a structural issue. They may have pain that they need help with the rest of their life and that, that happens. Um, but you know, then there's things like postural issues and, and working jobs that are, that are too demanding, you know, for us.
0: Yeah. It makes me wonder (sighs) Is it too simplistic to say that stress is at the root of, of almost
1: all physical ailments? It's at the root of probably 80 to 85% of of what we've got going on. And then, you know, nothing's ever just cut and dry. You know, they, it, stress compounds a lot of things. So sometimes people have a repetitive injury, uh-huh. and then you have stress on top of it. Right. Um, and the stress keeps them from being able to sleep well, and it... And it, it, it uh, you know, when you're under stress, the blood flow isn't going to be going to heal, like, minor issues. It's going to be to keep your heart going and your your liver and your kidneys, like, fired up so that you can run from the tiger, you know. It's like, yeah. it's shunting your energy in a in a, <clears throat> in a way to be able to be ready to fight or, or run right. as opposed to being relaxed and being able to heal. Right. So, if you can down, if you can... Uh, bring the stress levels down through acupuncture, through meditation, yoga, just taking some time to go take a walk in the woods, spend time with friends, you know, like just yeah. do things that feed your your soul and nourish your, your spirit. That will go a long way to helping any kind of pain. Absolutely. And then, you know, you can get some help with, you know, acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, s- foam rolling, you know, self-stretching, things like that that will help to loosen up tight muscles I see a lot of people with knee pain and once I start to loosen up their their IT band the muscles in their thighs their, their knee pain goes away As so you just you just loosen up those connections the tendons the blood flow returns and then the body can heal it's just when we're under constant strain either physical or emotional strain that it makes it difficult to heal so sometimes it's just a simple, you know, a matter of just calming down, breathing deeper, mm. <laughs> circulating the blood. Exercise is, is huge. When I get people to start to take walks or get on a spin bike, mm. a lot of their pain goes away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had a guy who started to come, he had all kinds of pain. He was um, re- just recently retired. His wife had passed away. He was depressed. I mean, he was, he was practically suicidal. And he had a ton of pain and over the course of about eight months, I got him out of pain, got him feeling more relaxed, got him feeling even a little energetic, and he started to exercise, and then he got a bike, and then he's riding a bike all the time, and he's doing great, and he doesn't come for acupuncture anymore. Hmm. He just, he's spending time on a bike with a friend of his, and he, he's gone for longer and longer rides because he feels stronger and stronger, and, and the, he doesn't have the pain, and he's excited about life again. It's just sometimes we need a little bit of a you know, help to get back on the bike, so to speak, you know. Get yeah. get back on your feet. Yeah. Get back out there. Get yeah. back in the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Walk
1: it off, get back in the game. You know, it's like there's a lot of wisdom in those things. We learn in sports and
0: Yeah, I guess you know. my my feeling about it is, you know, whether it's whether it's an ayahuasca ceremony or um, an acupuncture session, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, those moments with the doctor, mm-hmm. those are really just like drops in the ocean of our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, our lifestyle is really that's where we can either progress or we can fall back, mm-hmm. and and so <clears throat> you know, I feel like the work of a healer is really to bring about a positive transformation in the lifestyle it's not to nurture an attachment or dependence
1: to the healing modality itself no no it it, you know i i i'm in business to put myself out of business you know right right
0: so refreshing to have a doctor (laughs) feel that way
1: it's you know i i have people who come regularly because they really like it but the ones who i i i this is something the plants told me this is you know the, the plants told me several things about working with my patients which was really cool i didn't expect that i went didn't go in there asking for it but there's like these visions came to me about certain things to say there certain, certain things with the way i interact with people and one of them one of the messages was if the patient comes in and the complaint is there every week that's then that's not why they're coming that's just that's just something that's getting them to get Help. There's something else going on. If the thing doesn't change, but they keep coming, that, that, that's not that's not why they're coming. Mm. It might be that they just need a sense of connection to someone. They need somebody to pay attention to them. Mm. Like they just need that. They need someone to help them. And some people have, like I said, chronic things brought on by accidents. You know, they they had a surgery that went bad, or they got hit by a car, or they had a birth defect or something. you know, there's some something really structural, and then we're like, oh yeah, you, that's you, you. need help, but there, there are people who come in, and, and uh, you know, their, their symptom doesn't really change much. And after a while, I say, why are you coming in? You know, like, if you keep, cause I don't make them come in. They keep booking the appointments, and a lot of them will break down. And be like, this is the only thing that gets me through week to week. I just, it just, my my. My issue isn't going away. I just feel so much better. I just feel better in general. So if I get stuck on trying to fix some problem, I'll miss that there's a, there's more to life than than getting rid of that problem. You know that that one symptom that nags at them. And sometimes it's we just stay focused on it. And if I keep staying focused on that one symptom, I'm reinforcing it for them. That there's something wrong. The plant revealed that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's kind and, of- and I do, and you know, if somebody's not getting better, I'm like, well, maybe you should see somebody else. You know. Yeah. Most people get better. Yeah. Most people feel better. They know it. They 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 know they're making progress. They're pro- they're sometimes it's slow and progressive. Sometimes it's immediate. Like every once in a while, it's like a miracle. But mostly it's just that people start to feel better and start to function better and and over time their confidence in their ability to heal and to feel normal Over overtakes their Fear that they're not going to get better or that there's something wrong And then they just stop thinking about that thing that was bugging them when they first came in and they they're just thinking about Being happy getting on a bike Going for walks again. Like they just it just like fades away and goes away that's what I like to see.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when you were on your your second night and you were feeling resistance mm-hmm. and and feeling as though like this isn't doing what you wanted it to, <laughs> and for these folks that come in and keep reporting the same problem, is there a bit of resistance in them?
1: sometimes yeah yeah there's a there's a quote uh, saying. In the, in the work that my wife does uh, which is that what you, what you resist persists
0: oh yeah what, what kind of work does she do?
1: Uh, she's a um, management consultant a transformational leadership development consultant so she has the um, her company has the uh, uh, the uh, license to use the technology that the Landmark Forum uh, uses when they work with big groups of people they use that in my wife's company uses that in companies to help them hit business goals okay so I don't know if you're familiar with the forum but um, That's Warner Earhart or Est was the original iteration of, of the work that he developed it's um, it's based on ontology and phenomenology um, it's
0: it's <laughs> more g- words I'm not understanding it's,
1: it's 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 intense stuff yeah we'd have to bring my wife in. she could explain it fair enough I can explain it to some degree but she's she's the master in that um, but they, they go into companies and they help them work on business goals. And uh, so they, they, they're usually trying to, like, get some product through the pipeline to, you know, FDA approval. They work with a lot of pharma companies. Um, they work with uh, Motorola. They've worked with, like, you know, like big Fortune 500 type companies. And, uh, you know, they're, like, these are high-powered, successful executive type people. And they're, they're trying to either take it up to another level or they're trying to merge or they're going through like a culture change or they're they're just trying to make their people get them all on the same page that kind of thing and uh they have um what they end up doing is working with the, the way they listen to each other you know you talk you started that conversation early on when we first sat down and started talking i don't know if you got that on the tape but you know like the idea that you know, sometimes we listen to listen and sometimes we listen to reply. Yeah. And a lot of what's happening in, in uh in any business is people are listening to reply. I mean yeah. it's the same thing we have, you know, just at a dinner party, same thing. Yeah. People's leadership strategies get them to a certain level. And a lot of people's leadership strategies were developed in their childhood. And a lot of the top, you know, CEOs were people who came from unfortunate backgrounds. Like they, they had they were like a single mom. Uh, maybe they had an abusive parent. Like they, You're they right. over, a lot of those guys. Or I say guys because most CEOs are men. But a lot, you know, men and women, they they are like people who are overcoming something. Yeah. And they are continuing to try to overcoming overcome something. But at some point, they hit a ceiling where that strategy just doesn't work that well anymore because maybe they're continuing some like. You know, like bombastic, like you know, everyone's gonna do what I want, you know, and that got them to a certain degree. But at some point, people just don't want to work with you anymore if you're a big jerk like that. Right? Or maybe you got there by doing it all yourself. You know? Yeah. Like you just like you just put your head down and you grind at eighty hours a week, and you just you just that's how you're gonna make it. But you can't do that forever, and people around you want to contribute. Nobody wants to work for the one person who does everything they want to be part of the effort. They want to be part of the winning team too, you know. Sure. So anyways, my wife, uh, the way they work is like they help people to start to see where they generated these these success strategies when they were little kids and they uh-huh. and the way they talk to people, the way they listen. Interesting. It's it's amazing. She comes home and tells stories that just re it makes me have hope for humanity. That, like that, yeah, companies, you know, they do a lot of bad stuff in the world we can say but they also do a lot of good stuff and that
0: they have the potential to they have the
1: potential to and and a lot of people especially younger people now want to they don't want to just have a job they want to make a difference in the world like a lot of people are waking up to yeah we got to change course and I think psychedelics are part of that I think since the 60s a lot of people are waking up going whoa (laughs) this American dream this is a nightmare We've been going down the wrong road. We gotta, we gotta change course. We gotta like work together. We can't be all competitive with each other, trying to outdo each other and trying to like dominate all the markets and
0: buy more stuff and
1: downsize everything. You know, like, you know, lay off all these people. We get, we gotta figure out how to work. Yeah, buy all this junk we don't need. Sell things to each other we nobody really needs. And we gotta like solve some big problems. And we gotta work together. So they're doing that by having people kind of go deep without any kind of you know psychedelics they don't need you don't, you don't need that they're, they're, they're like modern day shamans. they're helping people to see what they can't see
0: huh. there's
1: a concept uh, in that world called uh, what you don't know you don't know there's what you know there's what you know you don't know and then there's what you don't know that you don't know and what you don't know that you don't know is your blind spot and that's where having a coach comes in handy you know like because we get in our own way we get stuck in our patterns we think we know what we're doing we just i just got to try it harder and harder and i'll I'll get there someday but you know somebody else can go no no look this way and suddenly you see a whole different perspective and then you can suddenly be way more effective just with a simple bit of coaching you know it's the same thing in sports you know like some guy keeps missing shots and this coach goes well look you know you just got to Aim for the front of the rim. You're aiming for the back of the rim. Just change the way you aim, and then suddenly, 80% of the shots are falling. You know, it's like that in business. It's like that in life. Some of us get there through a coach. Some of us get there through ayahuasca. Some of us get there through an acupuncturist. Some of us just get there because we have a friend who's nice and went to lunch. And <laughs> you
0: know. yeah, I was just about to say that. You know, it's like <laughs> you can call it. A healer or a psychotherapist or a shaman or a Transformational motivational speaker. Yeah, but it seems like there is this common thread across all of these Experiences which is shedding light on that which we don't know we don't know mm-hmm. that, that seems to be a big part of this healing experience for us human beings. Yeah. on planet Earth. Yeah in these bodies That's isn't that in that what enlightenment is about like you just just a, like completely lighting up all the darkness
1: that yeah. all of that which we don't know about ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's what Buddhism was on about. Like you the buddha's like you get buddha mind when you get the true your true nature. Yes. Because the true
0: nature once you shed light on on all 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 corners of this soul here then then all
1: that's left is oh well, I'm everything.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's not just you know,
1: I'm everything right We have all parts of ours. I mean we we have it. We're, we're the dark and the light. It's yeah. inseparable, you know Yeah, you can't know the one without the other. Yeah Well What
0: a beautiful conversation you honestly? You know right before we spoke I said it's hard being a podcaster because I want to listen to understand, but there is this urge to, to listen and then, ha- you know, have a good response so the conversation, keep, keep going. But uh, I felt like this flowed beautifully. And yeah. you were speaking to things that I was curious to ask about. So minimal editing here. <laughs> I think this will just be a nice, easy one. Nice. To get out to the people. Cool. Any closing words?
1: Man, what can I say? Um, Try it for yourself, you know. Like, I think that you know you're ready for what you're ready for when you're ready for it, and you know if you're curious about any of this stuff, you know any of these things that we talked about, just kind of go with one of them, see where it takes you, you know. I don't know what else to say. I started meditating when I was ten. I was kind of lucky. I had a had a very nervous stomach and had a teacher that was really mean. And I ended up in the hospital one night. A doctor came in. They ran all these tests. And they said, son, we can't find anything wrong. We think you just need to learn to relax. And I had been reading Popular Science magazine about biofeedback. So I went to the library, got books about biofeedback, realized I couldn't afford the equipment back in the 70s. So, but that led me to meditation. And I just started meditating. And I was able to see that you can have pain but not be the pain. I was able to sort of like separate from it. And relax into it and breathe into it and let it go and that opened the door for me like that was that was the thing that shifted my mind and opened me to all the other stuff that's then come later and I'm you know 52 and just now did ayahuasca you know that's when I was ready for it some but my daughter was ready when she was 17 <laughs> <laughs> She'll have a different trajectory in life, you know mm-hmm. than me and I guess anybody who's listening who maybe has like questions about it or maybe is um, Skeptical, you know, eh, that's fine You don't have to do that stuff Yeah, if you want to don't hold yourself back, but if you don't want to don't do it <laughs> sure. Find your way find your way there's a whole
0: universe of healing that exists outside of our western
1: medical system it's really amazing it's just and i just keep finding i've been studying this stuff for a long time and i just keep finding new things there's just all kinds of different ways to do this work enjoy it <laughs> well it is beautiful work yeah thank you thank yeah you, you're Dave thanks for coming out i'm glad Please. we met Yes, yes, indeed.
0: (laughs) Peace.